Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. Deborah Byrne, welcome to Open House. Oh, thank you so much. It is my treat, I'll tell you. Mine too. So, Deborah, with that line, imagine if you could whisper in the ear of your teenage self, mm. what would you say today? Oh, that just please, just go back to God. Just, just hear his words. Don't think that any of the struggles that you're going through are God-made, that the abuse that you have suffered has not been by the hands of God. It is, it is not deserved. You have not deserved to be abused, that God loves you and he wants to take care of you and protect you. And, and while you are struggling, he is there for you. Not to lose faith in him, not to walk away from church, you know, to continue to love Jesus the way you did as a young girl, to go back to that first love and find strength and find dignity there. What would you whisper about choices you make in life? Oh, dear. That no matter what you think of yourself, God only wants the best for you. And so it doesn't matter what state you're in, you can always go home to him. If you're in the midst of abuse or trouble... That's a hard thing to hear that God only wants the best for you. Yes, it is. But I, as a child, I was abused by my mother's father uh, up until I was 12. And in in all that time, I was uh, a salvo. And then I was attending the Baptist church. And I loved Jesus. And I loved my Bible. And I loved attending church. So through my struggles... I never connected God with my struggles. I connected my grandfather with my struggles and I never connected God with my father's alcoholism and domestic violence. I always kept them separate. As a child, it was very simplistic to me that Jesus was my friend and Jesus was someone I wanted to be with and my grandfather was someone I didn't want to be with. But at church, one of the Sunday school teachers, the Bible study teacher, who was also our grade five and six teacher. He was an abuser as well. And because he was at church, I walked from church. It seems such an incongruous contrast to the life that you were then drawn to in show business. Yeah, look, show business is a great escapism. You know, it took me years to work out why I feel good when I sing. (laughs) And part of it is because you breathe in a way that a child that is living a very anxious, I was frightened little girl most of the time. But when you sing, your breathing changes. It calms you. You actually are breathing deeply and with a rhythm, a beautiful rhythm. Whereas as a child, I was probably always, (laughs) you know, having this kind of like light breath. It actually had a physical effect on me to sing. And I got nice attention when I sang. (laughs) (laughs) I got praised when I sang. I sang, I think, as soon as I could work out where that voice was coming from, I I was singing. um, I was walking at seven months of age. That's all I wanted to do was sing and dance. And uh, obviously quite a sensitive person because these struggles really affected me deeply. The fact that I was an artist and um, that I was inclined to to want to perform, to sing and to act, uh, you know, we are sensitive people. It's it's kind of how we're made, you know. So lots of people, lots of kids sing and perform. What was it that brought you into 
that world of such prominence and such showbiz success? My father was a singer and a guitarist, and we would sing, you know, our whole family would sing, you know, we sang every Seekers hit there was, and then eventually, you know, it would be just me and Dad, and I sang in pubs. <laughs> I said, you know, look, I had a ball. I had a ball, but I would never let Lulu do or sing where, where I was singing. No way, you know. And and it, look, it was a wonderful experience. And um, but it it wasn't the experience that a, a young girl should be getting. And my dad, unfortunately, you know, he did drink a lot. You know, he was a big drinker. And when he was drunk at the pubs, my education of life was sitting at the back of the Prince Patrick Hotel in Collingwood in the 60s and 70s. That was a pretty treacherous part of the world back then. Yeah. At what age were you when you first made it into Young Talent Time? i just turned 13. And what was that like? It was extraordinary. Not because we knew that it was going to be this big hit or that we saw it as, or I saw it as a huge career move, because I didn't think like that. All I knew was that I was going to be doing a TV show and I was going to sing and dance and sing and dance with other kids who like to sing and dance. And, you know, we had a choreographer and it was when all you want to do is sing and dance and then you're doing it not in your ballet school, but actually in a whole new environment. It's so exciting because this is what you want to do, you know, and you've been chosen to be part of this team. And and that's an amazing feeling. It was a big job for a kid. We worked very long hours and we had to learn quite a lot every week. It was fun. It was so much fun working with the the other kids and all the other kids I'd worked with before in another TV show called Brian and the Juniors which was on Channel 7, and I was in that show for the final year that it went to air. And the original six kids from Young Talent Time, we were all together on that show, Brian the Junior, so we kind of just moved that group into, into another show. And so we all had relationships, and we were all excited to see each other again and, and be working together again. And the way the show took off, that wasn't something I ever considered. <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh, yeah. All were prepared for. How did you cope with the fame thing that was inevitably part of the Young Talent Time and Brian and the Juniors' experience? I never kind of saw it that way. I always thought it was a bit of a trick. <laughs> you know, it, didn't seem, it didn't seem quite real to me. Yeah. And it's only like many years later and only probably in the last few years that, you know, I've gone back over things and seen me on the cover of New Idea at, at 14 and 15 on the cover of TV Week and looking at this person, this girl that I know now better than I've ever known and looking at her and going, my goodness, look, she's on the cover of this magazine. But I, did, I didn't have that knowledge back then. What's the mix of emotions that you get in your mind when you look at that girl on cover? I look at her now and I think, what a brave little girl, what a beautiful little girl, and what a shame that child's potential was not able to be reached the way God intended it. What a tragedy that she was so held back by misinformation about herself. She thought she was never good enough. She thought that she was fooling people. When people said that she was great, she didn't believe it. She always thought she was going to get found out for being not real. 
and not worthy. It's not the blueprint God had for you, but that's the blueprint that this world can draw on you. And I look at her and I just think, oh, you're so beautiful. How could anybody do that to you? You know, Lulu, my youngest daughter is 12. And I see so much of myself in her and and I look at her and I think, I'm so happy to know that you have such a good feeling about yourself. On Open House, we're with the wonderful Deborah Byrne. Deborah, at the height of your career, you've won Logie Awards, released hit music, starred in movies, TV show, performed alongside Johnny Young, John Farnham. What did you value at that time and what mattered to you? Wow. Now, I don't think anyone's ever asked me that question. I don't know. I don't know if I expected anything. Mm. It was such a black and white world I lived in. There was the whitewash world of showbiz that everything should look and be wonderful. And then there was the other side of my world where it was devastatingly sad and cruel and frightening. My guess is lots of that life was just live day to day. Yeah, and I think sometimes minute by minute. Take me through the years post your fame on Young Talent Time, Brian and mm. the Juniors. What was the process of withdrawal like? When I've ever uh, withdrawn from fame, it's usually been on a self-sabotage ride. I think the greatest withdrawal from fame was when I went into Odyssey House and did rehabilitation there for nine months. That was a mostly devastating part of my life because I, I had no idea where I was going. The place that I was in, there was no visible or, or tangible heart there. It was therapy. It was very, very hardcore, hard-edged, steely knife therapy. And, and it was quite abusive the language in there was very abusive. The The behaviour was very tough. You know, it was a tough place to be. How old were you then and what were you withdrawing from, both in terms of drugs and the life? I was withdrawing from heroin, pretty much any kind of abuse, relationship abuse. I was withdrawing from not being able to actually perform anymore. I, I couldn't physically stand up and perform. I had lost pretty much every part of me that could survive the, the survivalist in me was just about gone beaten and I knew that I was um, days away from totally giving up I, I had nowhere to go and it's it's funny Lee, to actually say that out loud um, mm. because I haven't said that for a long time but those days were the darkest days of my life they they were terrifying how long did those days and years last they started probably 10 years prior it was like this storm that was just always coming and I always knew it was coming somewhere in me I knew this cloud was just getting darker and darker and darker and eventually it became so dark that I, I couldn't even breathe in it and I struggled for so long on my own and I had um, two little girls two children you know everyone was saying but you've got these beautiful kids you know Oh, and I didn't feel worthy of them. I didn't feel worthy of anything. I felt so lost in, in, in life. And Odyssey became my last chance. 
my absolute last chance. And if I didn't make it with this, then I was never going to make it. And so that lasted probably 10 years leading up to it and then another two years with Odyssey and then coming out of Odyssey until I was at least, oh dear me, 43 when I started to believe that there was something better for me. That's not to say that I lived in darkness all that time, but I just didn't live in light. And Marina Pryor played a pivotal role in your life. She did. I always saw Marina as having an enchanted life, and that was before she was a Christian. I watched her for years, and then when she became a Christian, I watched more closely. But I, I would always think, no, I can't live like that. I can't be a Christian. I I can't give up this stuff that I think makes me who I am. But uh, eventually, um, I did listen to Marina, and I did listen to my heart more and more. Um, I was then single again. I was living just with myself and Lucille. I was helping raise my first grandson, and life slowed down quite a lot for me. And my heart started getting louder and louder and louder, and I'd written the book, and I'd done a lot of therapy through the book. And my heart just got louder and louder, and, and I realized that I wanted to go back to church. I didn't know where to go. And Marina knew that I was searching, and she thought she'd found a church that I'd be comfortable in. And so I went there, and, uh, and I gave my life to God. There was that moment when you put your hands up at church. Oh, that was... Tears just came pouring out of me. Tears I hadn't, didn't even feel were there. I mean, I'd lived with tears all my life, and I'd had them in my chest and my throat most of the time of my life, and I was spent most of my life trying to stop them from coming out. These tears I didn't even know were there, and they just poured out of me in the most unexpected way and, and overwhelming way, and with no fear of them. There was no fear in the crying. It was extraordinary feeling. I went to put my hand up and I couldn't. I actually couldn't put it up. I kept thinking, if I put my hand up, someone's going to bite it. Hmm. It's going to get hurt. My hand's going to get hurt if I put it. It's like when they say, put your hand in that box. Hmm. Trust me, trust me. Well, that trust is a big deal for me, you know. So I'm trying to put my hand up and finally I just said to Pastor Trish, standing next to me I said help me put my hand up please and so she took hold of my hand and my hand went up and my, as my hand went up my knees collapsed and I fell to the floor and just felt home in a way that I you know wish I could feel every day every, over and over again if those tears were there for so long mm. and hadn't been shed mm. what was it about that moment that this was different it was going home Okay. It was going home, it was going home and it was accepting love of God, knowing that no matter what, he loved me, that I was there because he loved me and he was going to help me through everything and that I was home, mostly that I was just home. I was home in his arms and in the place that I was meant to be and it was extraordinary because for years I'd sung softly and tenderly Jesus is Calling on Carols by Candlelight and I sang that as a very non-Christian girl standing up there singing that song but that song meant so much to me and every time I sang it I would get this ache in my heart in my chest it was like a pulling on my chest and I would always say oh 
I've come to the end of this year feeling good again. You know, it was sort of like that would cap off my year to be able to do that. And I didn't, I really didn't understand what it was until I gave my life back to God. And then I thought, that is that feeling. That's that feeling you get when you're with God. You just get this most divine ache in your heart. And, and it's love. It's being in love. I can't describe it any other way. Yeah. If there are people listening tonight mm. who've been down that journey and haven't quite shed those tears or come to that moment as yet, mm. what would you say to them tonight? I would say there's opportunities every day to speak to God, to walk into a church, to hear the word and respond to it. And we hear it all the time. We just don't respond to it. And so for for you... When you hear this, respond to it. Respond to it and speak to God because he is there waiting to speak to you. He is there waiting to give you all the love he has for you. He is waiting there to save you. Just seize that opportunity because it will come from so many different places. You know, God's working all the time to get you home. And you don't even have to be in a church building for that. No, you don't. You can be in the most oddest places you know he's working through everyone i mean he worked through me i was having extramarital affairs i was taking drugs i was getting drunk the behavior that i was in was so wrong so bad so unhealthy so undignified and yet i was still going on stage singing softly and tenderly and moving people's lives towards god yes. he was using me a complete sinner, to speak his word. It's going to come from the strangest of places. Yes. And life now for you, Deborah. It's a struggle, but a struggle that is <laughs> is is so bearable it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's a, life will always be a struggle. You know, I, I've got a big life. I'm a grandmother slash mother single grandmother slash single oh, mother. I can't believe you're a grandmother. Yeah, I am. <laughs> and, and it's wonderful. And yes. I have care of my oldest grandchildren, my two boys, and all my family are happy. All my family are well. I am well. I'm in good shape. And we do it with God's grace and we do it with God's strength and his wisdom. And I do it knowing, you know, only God's love and only his life is forever, not this world, not what this world puts upon us. Yes. And when you live with God's guidance, you know that these are seasons. The, this will not stay as it is forever. And, you know, you need to hear that when you're in the middle of a hurricane. You know? Yes, and you have a life of hope. Oh, absolutely. And that opportunity came with that Woman's Weekly letter. That was a great time. I was sitting on the couch with um, my granddaughter, Alice, and we were reading a book, and this message came through and I immediately just went, I know exactly what I want to say to my 16-year-old self. And that letter was written in less than 10 minutes and it just poured out of me so easily. And uh, and it, it gave me healing too. So every time you bless someone, you're blessed. Do you know when I was doing Cats, every time I sang Memory, the very last phrase that, that you know, if you touch me, you'll understand what happiness is. Wow. And it means if you touch someone, if you bless someone, 
they'll they'll be happy but it's actually the effect it has for you it blesses you as you've been blessed by as, god as you, yeah god was using me then to say those words he's been using me all my life i love the line in the women's weekly letter where you say he will never leave you he will carry you through all of life's trials and share all you celebrate please don't be afraid there is life ahead there is and there always is <laughs> deborah Byrne, it's been such a treat to oh, talk to you thank you, you so much, much indeed for your time and joining us on open house it really is a pleasure i have listened to you so much <laughs> oh. after mary poppins on a sunday night i'd drive home <laughs> and i'd sit in my car in the laneway outside my house i'm blushing <laughs> you know, just and and you know the, the the wonderful thing about the program is so many people that I've admired over the years I found out were Christians. Yeah, it's a great privilege. And then to you be see, here. you go, of course, yes, because that's what you were drawn to in that person. Yeah, it's a great privilege. Ah, oh, thank you so much. Great Lee. treat to talk to you. Thank you so much. God bless you. We hope you enjoyed this open house podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.